Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour time. Do you sound different? We're recording this in the morning. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is not usual for us. This is not our native habitat or our native. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's native almost time. like we fell into the cage of some gorilla. Oh shit! I shouldn't have said that. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not our native time to record the show, but that's okay. We're still going to do a really good show for you. And to start out, I have a question for you, Brian. Okay. Are you a lesbian trapped in a man's body? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somehow I didn't think so. And um, the reason I brought that up is because I just realized this week that it has been years since I heard anyone say that phrase. It used to be a thing like in the 90s or maybe even the like the early 2000s. Yeah. Where like when I was a when I was a teenager and a kid growing up, you would hear straight cisgender men, which means they're they're a man and they feel comfortable in their male body. And they would say to women who would say like, oh, I'm not interested in you. I'm a lesbian or something like that. They would say, whoa, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. <laughs> yeah, I, I can remember the last time I heard that. And it was like 2005 when, yeah. when somebody had said that. So I have a theory about why you don't hear I it I was now. just going to ask, why exactly do you think that this is? <laughs> I think it, you don't hear that anymore because now there's more awareness of people who are actually transgender. And if somebody said that now, the the girl would say, oh, so you're trans? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, or somebody And then the guy just... would say, oh, shit, she thinks I want to be... Oh, no, God damn it, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing is somebody could pull off the joke and say, oh, so you're getting a sex change? You know, yeah, like, exactly. I mean, you, they don't you, want to have to actually follow through with it and become a woman, right? Right, right. <laughs> or, you know, they know that they're going to get, by their metrics, by their standard, they're going to get insulted. I'm not saying it's an insult to get a sex change. I'm saying by their standard, they would. Yeah. You know? I mean, because usually, like, straight, cisgendered guys, typically, uh, who would use a phrase like that, are not, like, super aware about, like transgender issues or anything like that you know they would probably not not that would not be something that's really on their radar right so yeah i think there's i think there's way more awareness about people who are transgender now and you just can't get away with saying that anymore it's one of those phrases where you it's gone into the dustbin of history i agree it's not not as far in the dustbin as like say um have to piss like a racehorse. That still gets used, but <laughs> but that was invented in the eighties. We covered that on one of our shows. Yeah, this yeah, season, yeah, didn't we? yeah. But uh, still in the dustbin. You're right. 
Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, here's another question follow up. Okay. Are you a Yeti trapped in a human's body? A Yeti? That's yeah. a bit of a switch. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Are you a Yeti trapped in a person's body? I, I, I'm going to... What is, what is a Yeti? What defines a Yeti? All right. I'm going to say no, that I'm not. Uh, though I do like <laughs> to think I'm, I'm pretty well in touch with my animal side. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right on. Yeah. Well, we saw the show this week called Yeti or Not... And it was actually a pretty cute show. It was this guy, this scientist, and he was doing a sort of a documentary where he was hunting for, like, what's the real story behind these legends in, like, Tibet and Nepal about yetis? And the yeti is supposedly, according to these legends, like, some primate um, that kind of looks like a little bit, it has some human features, but it's really not human. And it's it's not really an ape uh, but it kind of resembles one, maybe, and it walks around in the mountains, and it's very reclusive. It's kind of like Bigfoot in North America. But... It's, it's the abominable snowman. I mean, like... the abominable snowman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. That's literally what it is. Uh, and why is it abominable? Is it mean? Supposedly, I guess it, it doesn't well, want to be discovered, right? It doesn't want you to go near it. Yeah. So we saw a special about this. Some of it it got into, some of it it didn't. But like one of the fears was that it was taking away like the women from the local villages and all that. So yes, it is quite mean because, you know, if you take away the women, uh, you know, you take away the, the, the future of the village. Uh, hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a real concern. Um, yeah. They I would steal children too and eat them. Right. Uh, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's legends that go like that direction. To I heard, the, I thought I heard like it, I mean, there's probably all kinds of legends. Yeah. I thought I remembered something about it, like stealing sheep and like little kids and things like that to snack on. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, um, I, See, mean, I thought it, we were going to talk about transhumanism. Well, we're doing Yeti or not right now. All right. right? We're doing the Yeti. <laughs> Hope I didn't give anything away. We got to talk anyway. about Yeti or not. All right. So, yeah. Now, there was some interesting like this special that we saw. I mean, there, there's a couple of very interesting theories that honestly I never bought into. In fact, you know what? I and and, and I know with a good friend, we were just talking about this and he kind of looked at me like, what the hell? Because I said, look, I was like, yeah, I don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't believe, you know, there's a whole bunch of the stuff within what they call cryptozoology that I just don't believe in. <laughs> Cryptozoology is like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, yeah. Yeti, and uh, Yeah, I mean, Loch Ness, whatever, you know, all that stuff's nonsense. But like the Yeti, there's always seemed to be like a fair amount of evidence and even people that claim to have, you know, bones and whatever else of the abominable snowman. I mean, it's it's not like just this ethereal thing that that shows up and nobody has anything, you know remain remaining from it and it's more than footprints right uh so the yeti i was always like yeah i wonder about that one you know because there have been giant creatures in the past like there was uh the the, the most common example is the elephant bird of madagascar i mean just you know 150 years ago this thing was still alive it was a six foot tall bird i yeah. mean that would freak me the fuck out if i saw a giant <laughs> bird like that oh i think it would freak me out too as yeah. the size of a person he would be eye to eye with you brian <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly You're six foot one and tons of fun that's right <laughs> But they were saying on this show that there were actually, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that there might be species of even primates that have are yet undiscovered or bears or something like that or right. large animals that have not been cataloged or classified yet. Example, in the 90s and in the 80s, um, there were some new species of like gorillas or apes that were got, got discovered that never had been right. known before. So it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that there might be some big animal out there that's not yet explored. But but they actually 
went to like Tibet and Nepal, like this guy um, collected samples from these Yeti relics, so-called. He talked to like villagers. He had a translator and a tour guide. Right. And he got them to like, you know, take Yeti bones, so-called Yeti bones, and saw off little pieces of the bone. And then he got like hair that was supposed to be from the Yeti. And he Mm -hmm. got like, um, I don't know, other, there was a supposedly like a Yeti head or something. And anyway, he sent them to, um, for genetic testing. Right. And they did genetic testing and all of them came up as different kinds of bears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the theories is that it was some kind of like hybrid grizzly and polar bear. They call it a growler bear. Right. Yeah. And those, which are very real. Those are real. Yep. They exist. Um, it's, you know, it's not known how it would get all the way to Nepal and Tibet, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. They can migrate. Bears migrate hundreds of miles when they're active, not right. hibernating. So, yeah, they were they were thinking it was a growler bear, but actually the DNA from these relics came back as uh, Himalayan brown bear. And then there was like a Tibetan, there was an Asian black bear, and then there was a Tibetan brown bear. So there's like three different kinds of bears that it kept coming back as no evidence of polar bear DNA anywhere in there. Right. So just in those ones that he tested. So I thought that was really interesting. And they were and they were going through all this evidence like people were describing when they had supposedly seen yetis and they were describing this posture that they made and it it was just like a bear when it stands up on its hind legs. Right. Um so I just thought that was really interesting that it's it's probably actually a bear. Yeah, well, the other theory that I thought was really cool was that it could be Denisovans, which... Yeah, so there was no evidence for this, but the the guy went into this other well, theory that he had. There was evidence in the fact that the, the Tibetans have Denisovan DNA. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. So there was there was no evidence in the Yeti relic genetic, genetic no, testing. Right, that right, was right, all bears. Right. But um, they did talk about, in Tibet, obviously the elevation is super high, yeah. and... Um, you know, regular old white European people have a hard time adapting. They might get altitude sickness and stuff. Yeah, you bend over and you're going to be breathing heavy. I mean, it's so bad. Right. The oxygen is is getting pretty thin up there. Right. But apparently um, a lot of Tibetan people have this genetic variant um, in, I think it's an erythropoietin gene, which yeah. makes red blood cells. Um, it's called EPAS1. EPAS1, that's E-pass it. EPAS1. Yeah. And they have uh, this gene that actually is not found in other types of humans from other ethnic backgrounds mm-hmm. and the gene comes from denisovans which is well, a which is third a recently type. discovered type of human uh, hominid right kind of like uh, neanderthals you know right but it's it's a different one exactly yeah and yeah they found this like finger bone of a denisovan human um in, in the area in asia or something like that and they they sequenced some dna from it um, and that's really all we know. There's not much known about them. Denisovans were just discovered like a couple of years ago. Right. But it falls in line with the idea that, you know, the, if, if the, the Yetis were taking the women from the villages, um, the fact that the villagers today have Denisovan DNA means that Denisovans were Inter- mating. Interbred, yeah. Yeah, interbred, you know, with which Neanderthals with did this as well with Homo sapiens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I don't, you know, the evidence is scant, sure, but. But there, there might be something there. And, you know, I'm kind of reminded, like, of uh, uh, there's recent in, in Britain, there's recently, like, the way the sea levels are working right now, they're, they're uh, doing archaeological studies on Doggerland, uh-huh. which is that area that, you know, the land between England and Europe, you know, it's the English Channel now. Oh, and they're finding I had no, I'd never heard of that. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of like they call it the, the, the English Atlantis 
or Atlantis. And, um, like they're finding footprints there, you know, from thousands of years ago, you know, over 6,000 years ago and all How this stuff. How do they find footprints under the water? Well, it all kind of gets preserved and part of it's from the ice age. What? Yeah, wow. because, because it all comes back. And then as they start to pull, because what's happening is, is the water is removing the sand dunes or is removing like some of the dunes, I should say. And uh-huh. so like, you're finding like all these imprints, wow. you know, underneath. And so, you, you know, sometimes I wonder if in Asia, like Southeast Asia, there's points that, that are still kind of covered by history yeah where you would find the evidence perhaps of yeti or of denisov more denisovans or something yeah, like other that. types of hominids yeah sure yeah i mean the ice age you know it did its number on the planet and there's still some history that it covered this is so interesting so yeah yeah last time we talked about antarctica yeah. <laughs> this time we're on to yetis Yetis. have we lost it uh, i don't know to show at sex and science <laughs> we laid out the science come on there's more coming up this is Sex and Science Hour. Woo, welcome back to the show. I thought it was ancient aliens. <laughs> I know, I was starting to think that too for a few minutes. Um, well, I heard something this week that shocked me. And really? apparently this is even like old news. This is from 2003, so this is over two. This is over 10 years old. Okay, and I saw this because my friend Constance, I'll give her a shout out, shared this on Facebook. And um, she's got like four kids, so you know she's Woo. she's got a lot of kids. I don't have any kids, but I will confess that I've always been just terrified of getting pregnant, especially like in my early twenties. Um, there were so many times when I didn't enjoy sex with guys because I was just so scared that mm. I would get pregnant, and I blame the you know sex educa- the conservative so-called sex ed that I received in high school where they basically made it seem like this is definitely going to happen. But it might not be that far off. I might not have been that far off. Um, This is from the, the British medical journal. Women may ovulate two or three times a month. Whoa. Can you believe this? (laughs) The conventional belief that women ovulate once a month is wrong. Say Canadian researchers who found that women can potentially ovulate two or even three times a month. The research, according to the journal Fertility and Sterility, could explain why the rhythm method of contraception is so unreliable and why women who take hormonal contraceptives sometimes get pregnant. Now, I will stop there and just say the hor- the uh, the rhythm method is not that unreliable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually quite popular worldwide mm-hmm. as a form of birth control and it you know it works if you have a predictable cycle supposedly right. and it works if you know if you combine it with withdrawal and, and that's and what the rhythm like method is is that you, you the rhythm learn method the cycle. is you know your cycle right, right and you don't have sex while you're ovulating or you pull out or, or the guy pulls out or something yeah which by the way also pulling out does is better than nothing if you do it right if yeah, you do it, if right. You do it yeah. right it's better than nothing it right. doesn't prevent the transmission of sexually transmitted infections and stuff right but um it can be you know so like 95 i think it's like 95 percent reliable or something like that yeah um now there is the idea but that five percent <laughs> Is rightfully scary. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like playing Russian roulette, one out of 20. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, uh, just give him a blowjob, ladies, if you really don't want to get pregnant. (laughs) Well, you know, I... I want to address, like, I mean, you know, your 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 terror. Not, it's not that you you don't 
hate children, obviously. Um, no, but it just it was not a time that I wanted to get pregnant for sure. No, right, right. I mean, and I think you're you know you still have a concern over getting pregnant, and I think I think well, I'm not concerned anymore because I'm only having sex with you. Well, and right, you're, and you have a vasectomy. Yeah, so I what have, do I have to worry about? Exactly, I have it's a, a great life. I'll tell you. Oh, I love having a vasectomy, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a great life for me too. But that's kind of the thing is that like, I you know. I understand why women are like are concerned about that because there's not a whole like there's not a whole lot of options and most guys aren't willing to get a vasectomy and there's not a whole lot of other options for a guy and condoms even I mean condoms do suck like like it's it's true they're they're a pain in the ass uh, but you know so I for women to be a little more concerned it's like yeah well I'm the one that has to, you know society has put upon them mm-hmm. the responsibility of not getting pregnant. Yeah. And that's really not okay. Like, that's not fair. And so for women to be concerned about that, yeah, it's far worse for women than it is for men. Right. I mean, they're the one who has to have it in their body. Exactly. They have an unintended pregnancy. So right. So then you got to deal with that somehow, uh, one way or another. But, you know, I think with guys, there's a spectrum. Like, some guys would like to take more responsibility for birth control if they're Right. And this is all only if you're having heterosexual sex, okay? Like, I don't yeah. want to be heteronormative here, right? Gay sex is a great way not to get pregnant. Yeah, <laughs> right? right on. You know, it's a bonus, right? I always yeah. I always say to women when I'm hitting on them, like, I will never get you pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome pickup line. Damn. Isn't it great, ladies? Um, <laughs> I guess I could say that too, but. <laughs> well, you could, but that's almost like, don't steal my that's, thunder. Dude. No, and that's creepy. <laughs> and I'm not a creepy cat. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but I think with guys like, um, there's a spectrum. Some of them would love to take more responsibility for birth control, but there just aren't a lot of different options for guys. No. Definitely not as many as there are for women. Right. And some women are like, yeah, I wish guys would take more responsibility for this, but all the options exist for them. Yeah, I mean, and I really like that. That really annoys me because, I mean, it takes two to tango, you know, in this hetero game. And for (laughs) like, I I get annoyed with guys. Like, honestly, I think guys that that want to, you know, have a very um, sexually active lifestyle and don't get a vasectomy. I I question it. I'm not saying they're immoral. I'm just saying, you know, where, where are where's your head at, man? Because like, if you, you know. Why aren't they taking on the responsibility of the potential of getting pregnant, of bringing a life into this world, which is a very serious piece of business? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that anybody would want to have would want to be would want to have parents, not not like be parented by, but they would want their parents to be people who wanted to bring them into the world. Right. Not people who didn't intend it and did it. I mean, I know a lot of babies are sort of accidents and then it turns out that the parents love them anyway yeah you know and they're happy about it but um definitely for the dude who's just going around partying and sleeping with a bunch of women um yeah like i think he's really thinking of himself more than the potential children yeah. that he could create yeah <laughs> i question what's happening upstairs i really do uh you know i'm not not i'm not judging anybody i'm well well, there's not, plenty of judgment. I think you're saying that because there's so much judgment that goes around on women. Yeah. You know, and oh, the, oh, these women are using abortion as a birth control method and they're just total sluts and they're creating all these children. Well, you know, they needed to have a partner who participated in that, too. It's not only their fault. Right. You right. can't just think about it and get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to fuck a guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, that's funny. Like, like a lot of these MRA types, right? Like, wouldn't it, I mean, it, it's, it's ironic because it's like, oh, all she wants is kids for me and all this stuff. And it's like, it's like, oh yeah, they're only sleeping with me so that they can get, you know, they can get pregnant and all this crap. And it's like, well, if that's actually a concern of yours, well then just get a vasectomy. And then, you know, you, you, you remove that, that whole equation from the table. Like, right. Yeah. Well, that's not, I mean, I, I agree. That's kind of a BS argument on the yeah. types, of, yeah, yeah. types of men who, you know, want to sleep with women, but then also have this hatred of them and accuse them of wanting to trap them with babies and things like that. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they don't necessarily want to get a vasectomy because, you know, it's a permanent thing. You can reverse vasectomies, but that's very expensive and it's yeah. not always successful. Maybe they want to have children later. So You can always adopt. There's so many kids on the planet. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, there's some a lot of people just want to have their own they want to propagate their own DNA. So Yeah. I don't know. I'm not here to judge people's no, reproductive no. <laughs> choices. I just I just think like That's um, amazing though. 3 times a Yeah, women ovulating 3 times a month. It's crazy. Now, I don't know if there's any, I haven't seen any updates to this, but I mean, holy shit, this just blows my mind. Well, so is this like for everybody or is this only a few people that do so this? So let's read it here. Researchers from the University of Saskatchewan did daily ultrasound scans on uh, 63 women who apparently had normal menstrual cycles. So 28 days and they're in day 14, you ovulate, day mm. one, you get your period. Some <laughs> They made songs for you. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Some were nulliparous, which means they've never had a child. Others had up to three children. They found that all the women produced at least two waves of follicular development. Wow. Now, you have to know a little bit about the female reproductive cycle. I know this probably seems very mysterious to some people, so maybe we'll put a diagram in the show notes. But <laughs> basically what happens is at the beginning of a menstrual cycle... Um, which starts the day you get your period, you're shedding the old lining of the uterus. And over the next two weeks, the um, the follicles on your ovaries, which contain immature um, unfertilized eggs, mm -hmm. are developing in response to um, uh, hormones that make them develop and get ready to ovulate. And then in the mid in the mid month, you have a surge of uh, uh, FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, and luteinizing hormone, LH. And the uh, follicle pops and a uh, little, is it an oocyte? Maybe, yeah. An, an unfertilized egg comes out. And then am... it starts making its way into down the fallopian tubes, where most <laughs> of the time that's where they're fertilized. If it gets fertilized, if conception occurs, it will um, turn into an embryo and implant into the lining of the uterus, which has by that point gotten nice and fluffy and started building up again. And if it's not fertilized, um, it just dies off, withers away. And then uh, the lining of the uterus continues kind of building up for another couple weeks. And then it uh, sloughs off and you get your period again. And it all starts over and over. Thank you, Dr. Murphy. And I am always amazed at how you remember all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes you kind of need a diagram, but it, it helps when it happens in your own body and you can feel it happening. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of the ultimate diagram, I suppose. <laughs> we're we're going to demystify it for you guys here. So anyway, um, so the conventional idea is that there is, you know, 
during the first phase of that cycle, which is the follicular, it's called the follicular phase. That's the first two weeks of the cycle. And the mm-hmm. second two weeks is called the luteal phase because then you make this thing called the corpus luteum, which is the scar where the ovary b- burst open and released an egg. And that thing produces um, estrogen and progesterone. Well, progesterone mostly, but um, if you get pregnant, it you know, maintains itself. And if you don't get pregnant, it just kind of goes away. So there's the follicular phase and the luteal phase. During the follicular phase, when the follicles of the that contain immature eggs are building up, um, the idea is that there's a bunch of them that respond to the um, follicle stimulating hormone and start to grow and get bigger, but one outcompetes the rest. There can only be one right? And one egg is released. One. There is one egg per month and it alternates ovaries. So one month it's your left ovary, the other month it's your right ovary. <laughs> That's the conventional view. But these people are saying <laughs> that the women had two waves of follicular development. See, the, the existing theory held, for this is from the article, that at the beginning of each menstrual cycle, 15 to 20 follicles begin to grow in the ovaries, and one of them develops into a mature egg at roughly the middle of the cycle. But current scanning techniques can detect follicles, but cannot reveal the much smaller egg itself, so it's unknown whether any of the women actually ovulated twice. Dr. Roger Pearson, director of the Reproductive Biology Research Unit at the University of Saskatchewan, who led the study, said 40% of the subjects had the clear biological potential to produce more than one egg in a single month. Moreover, this is the most terrifying part, moreover, they could be fertile at any time of the month. Just ready to be popping out babies. Holy shit. This (laughs) blows my mind. Well, you know, I mean, as I understand it, uh, well, you know, honestly, like this, this makes some, and you got to be careful when you get into evolutionary psychology or, or evolu- not evolutionary psychology, but just evolutionary. Oh, people science, use Evo psych to justify all yeah. kinds of horrible conclusions that but, aren't right. But this kind of makes some sense because there is like, I've heard the, the, you know, the research that, uh, men can produce, you know, billions of sperm mm-hmm. every five minutes to an hour after they ejaculate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if women are always, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if women are always ready, well, yeah, I mean that just that that matches the pace, right? Well, uh, I mean it it makes sense because um, so there's this idea that women hide when when they're fertile. Their body is meant to disguise when they're fertile, damn. right? Um, like monkeys have those red asses, right? Yeah, <laughs> when, they get, <laughs> when they're in heat, and red and ass. Dogs and horses go into heat, right? <laughs> Humans, you can't really tell. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's some humans who'd say they have a red ass when they're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're a red ass. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Not into that. Um, but, but human females like hide when they're most fertile. So the men just have to keep fucking them all the time to, just, <laughs> to keep up with it. And <laughs> I think people are getting a little hot and bothered just hearing all this. But. <laughs> See, now that's the thing. I thought you were just going to say, it's like, well, you know what all this means? It means we're going to have to feed the storks a whole lot more uh, because they're they're going to be doing double time. <laughs> that's right. Because yeah, I thought that's where babies came from. I, think, I thought the yeah, stork delivered it. You're right. That's We should just stop there. That's where they come from. Yeah, it's storks. So, Hey, speaking of female reproductive cycle, we got something very fascinating coming up for you next. All right. It's, I mean, actually, I wouldn't say it's fascinating. It's 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 for the smart dumb segment, okay? Stay the tuned. smart dumb? It's for this You know the segment of the smart dumb? 
where we're talking about like smart things but that are actually not very smart. Oh, it's like the Darwin Awards. All right, let's do it. All right, Sex and Science Hour, Smart Dumb coming up. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour. Haven't you always, ladies, let me just talk to you. Let's get real for a second. All right, I'll let you ladies talk. I'll be right over here. This is girl talk here on Sex and Science Hour. Except for the Yeti thing. This is turning into definitely girl talk. Hey, Mitch, how's it going? (laughs) Mitch? Who's Mitch? No, no, have Bill come later. Mitch the itch? Bill the pill? Keep talking, keep talking. I'm just over here. (laughs) Talking to the bros. So, ladies, haven't you just always wanted a smart tampon to quantify your vagina. Stringfellow, I'll call you right back. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, what the fuck? This is from Fast Company, The Quantified Vagina. This startup aims to track women's health through smart tampons. (laughs) I told you this was for the smart dumb segment. Many conditions that threaten women's fertility could go undetected for years. This monthly blood testing technology could be a game changer. Oh, you know, all right. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go with this article, but like the, the answer, because let me guess, this connects via Bluetooth to your smartphone, right? I don't know. I haven't read the article. I just saw the headline. I'm like, oh yeah, we have to talk about that. Um, Okay, here's this. It starts with a human interest piece, of course. This is by Elizabeth Segrin from Fast Company. All right. Gretchen Anthony hadn't been to an OBGYN since her six-year-old child was born. I didn't have any medical issues, so I didn't feel pressure to go, she says. I was busy. Life got in the way. When she finally went for a physical, prompted by a concerned sister, she discovered she had high-grade HPV, human papillomavirus, which caused cancer cells to grow on her cervix. The surgeon tasked her with giving a... The surgeon tasked with giving her a hysterectomy said it was the worst case of cervical cancer he'd ever seen. Holy shit. That's scary. Wow. And while his... That's fucked up because, okay, th- I have to just break in. Now, they're not recommending... So she hasn't been to an OBGYN for six years and she got cervical cancer. Okay. Whatever. I mean, not whatever. It sucks for her, but... Yeah. Now, they're recommending that if you're over 30... Don't you don't need to get a pap smear every year. You only need to go every five years. So she was only one year late. Okay. So uh, what I'm saying is like, the re- she was pretty close to following the recommendations anyway. Oh, you're saying she would have found out eventually. Like, yeah, she I didn't mean, need maybe if they'd caught it one year earlier, it would have been a better situation. But uh, I don't. Uh, this yeah. story is just for. Kinda... So well, let me break in quick because, like, I think what that's laying out, and this bothers me with a lot of these health tracker either devices or apps, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this stuff comes from. I think like there was a very famous case with the, the uh, Apple watch where a kid like the Apple watch told him his heart rate, I think it was. And it, it, you know, it was very concerning. It was very high. I, I covered it on my show, sovereign tech. Um, and like, you know, he, he went to a doctor and he could have died. He was going to have, I don't know, some, oh, something bad. Was I remember happen. that. Yeah. Yeah. And Apple made a big, you know, big to do about it, obviously because it's free marketing for them. Um, not because they give a shit about human beings. And um, my my concern with that then was that it's like, you know, if your heart is in that, that bit, you know, like if, if your heart's pumping that hard, 
Do you need an Apple Watch to tell you that? (laughs) Well, that's the thing is that like people just don't know to listen to their bodies anymore. Like life is just so there's so many. It's ironic because these things that people are claiming like, you know, these devices and connected devices and and, and and worldwide interconnection, all this stuff that they're saying can save them is actually like it's kind of what's keeping them from realizing for themselves what's going on in themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that you can feel you have cervical cancer. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much silent. You wouldn't be able to feel it. Sure, sure. But there are a lot of things, a lot of things that go wrong with the human body that I think you can be in touch with it. It's not some woo-woo spirituality. It's just knowing your body. You can tell when something's wrong often. Right. Yeah. I mean, mean, there's all kinds of little things that that, that can be done, all kinds of natural things that can be done. And so much of our, you know, and believe me, I, I am a tech enthusiast, but so much of the technology that we schlep around is actually doing far more harm than good. And it's 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 distracting us from our own natural medical sensors and giving us bullshit in turn that we have to end up sharing with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if you want to read on, you, you know, read on more because I don't want to go down that that road yet. OK, so, uh, yeah, I'm just saying, like, don't read this story and get super scared because I don't think this is typical. This is not like very rare. This is a rare thing. Yeah. So anyway, it happened to this poor woman, but and she got a shitty outcome. But it it's not going to necessarily happen to you if you don't go to the OBGYN for five years. Right. You know, so, OK. Anyway, when she finally went for a physical prompted by a concerned sister, she discovered she had high grade HPV, human papillomavirus, which had caused cancer to grow on her cervix. The surgeon tasked with giving her a hysterectomy said it was the worst case of cervical cancer he'd ever seen. And while his team was able to arrest the cancer before it spread, the operation permanently changed the hormonal balance of her body. She sweats profusely all the time and hasn't been able to enjoy sex ever since. I guess they took out her ovaries, too. Fuck, that's awful. Anthony realizes that she could have been more judicious about keeping up with her annual health checkups, but cervical cancer is asymptomatic and most women don't catch it early enough. In fact, there are many dangerous conditions that women don't realize they're living with. Endometriosis. Oh, you would know if you had endometriosis, right? Because you... <laughs> Anyway, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Oh, you know that too. And uterine fibroids. The list goes on. So how do they do they say how it's written by a woman? Does she know? Right. (laughs) Do they say how the app works? Like, what is it? Um, I'm getting to that. Sorry. Um, uh, Without treatment, these illnesses can destroy a woman's fertility or be fatal. That's another thing where they say like, oh, shit, if you have undetected chlamydia or gonorrhea, it could it could mess with your fertility, you know, and and we don't want that. Well. Yeah, it can mess with guys' fertility, too, but nobody's telling guys to go in every year and have their dick swabbed. Yeah. Right? It's just (laughs) like, why why do people place so much value on the the womb? Anyway, (laughs) Riddy Tariel and Stephen Geyer, an entrepreneur and a scientist, respectively, who met an infectious disease lab who met in an infectious disease lab at Harvard, were stunned by the vast number of women's health issues that go undetected. It seemed clear to them that there was a problem with the way that medical testing worked in women's health. The system is fundamentally reactive, waiting for an illness to be detected before it springs into action. But when a positive test result comes back after an annual checkup, it could be too late. This is a puff piece for this technology. We had to cut in a scare piece, too. Mm. Um, we had to come up with something that would allow women to find out about these conditions sooner than every year, Terry Yall says. You can pick up a disease any time and letting it sit there for a year until your next visit can have consequences downstream that you don't want. The system has to change. 
Together, Terriol and Geyer have been devising a radical new system of testing that will allow women to proactively keep track of their health by studying blood samples in the privacy of their own home. I was thinking about how to get a large enough volume of blood to do this. Terriel says, until I realized that we actually bleed a bit every month. <laughs> That's when the light bulb came on in Terriel's head, a tampon that could double as a tool for collecting women's blood. With the right technology, it could even test the blood for a range of biomarkers and send that information to a database there, there it is. that would allow women to track their reproductive health over time. The- there yep. it is. There's that's, really that's game over. Yeah, there's nothing else that needs to be known about that. Oh is my that god! It gets sent off to I a centralized do not database. want big data in my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> that's Get the out. name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the most intimate wearable technology yet. Yeah. Oh, great! And a milestone in the development of the quantified self. Oh, okay. All right. See that 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 just gets to the whole point. Is that this kind of technology in and of itself may not be such a terrible idea. Right. Like that. Okay, fine. You know, you, you have something that can tell you, you know, through your menstrual blood, whatever, it can, it can give you a whole bunch of. Uh, yeah, that you would know, be pretty data. convenient if you had ultimate control over the data. Right. That's the <laughs> That's problem. That's not the case. That's the problem. This thing should have a USB port on the end of it or a USB, uh, not port, a USB, you know, adapter at the end of it. And then it could plug into a computer and it all gets kept very private. It does not go up to the cloud. It works on some kind of localized software. Because, you know, here, here's my concern is that it wasn't that long ago in this country, in the United States, I'm not talking about anywhere else, nothing in Europe, nothing. It wasn't that long ago that we used to have things like, uh, what was it? Fitter family for, for the future. Okay. We had, I mean, that, that was, that that was in the forties. And I think, and I'm sure the funding went even beyond that. This is stuff. Um, Edwin Black talks about it in his books, uh, about American eugenics programs. Oh, right. Eugenics, eugenicists would kill literally Mm. for this kind of technology. Yeah. They'd like, because they'd be like, Oh yeah, we know, you know, cause they, they used to do these really like that fitter family, uh, uh, or fitter family for the future Mm -hmm. group. They, they had these better baby competitions that they'd have at like uh, public fairs. Oh my God. It's it's creepy shit. That's like showing off your pumpkin, but now you're showing off your baby instead. (laughs) Holy shit. Right. And then, and like, and the best babies, like they, they would, you know, kind of quantify them into. Yeah. I, I really (laughs) don't like this. That's Nobody, a slippery slope. Right. You need to have, I mean, outside of even that, outside of the American eugenics, I'm not, there's no Godwin's law here, okay? I'm talking about American eugenics. Outside of that, which is nascent only maybe 50 years, uh, or, you know, has only been gone for about 50 years. Like, there's the genuine concern that you really, you know, it's your body. It's your health data. You should have absolute control of that. Mm-hmm. And I bet this app does it probably, it might not let you export that data. Mm. It probably passes it all off, you know, to some doctor somewhere that you didn't necessarily. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's voluntary for you to use their it technology. Does, I mean, fine. screw passing it off to a doctor. I wouldn't be as concerned about that, but passing it off to a database who, who knows what they do with it. Right. That's how are they going to monetize this smart tampon? Right. I right? mean, and the data is more valuable than the actual device itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, and didn't we talk about like, wasn't there a pregnancy test app? Or there thing was, was, there connect- was a smart pregnancy yeah, test we that covered connects that. to your app and I mean, gives you advice about what to do with your pregnancy. Right. I mean, how much can you shame people like 
if, if you were able to access a database and you could tell everybody who's pregnant that didn't want to, I mean, th- oh yeah, there's I so got many you smart tampon data. I hacked. I know you have gonorrhea. Can you imagine you get an email from a hacker saying you have gonorrhea? Uh, give yeah. me, give me bitcoins and I will send you antibiotic. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I could see again if it were localized. This could, you know, earlier we were talking about like having sex and all that stuff. It's like, should I wear a condom? Should I and all this stuff? Like, it'd be kind of nice if you could show to somebody without connecting to some centralized server, somebody you want to know, Hey, look, I'm disease free. You know what I mean? Like I could see that being really cool, but the problem is, is it's not you in control of this data. It's going somewhere else. And I'm pretty sure in the EULA for that data, it says somewhere we are going to give this to third parties. You cannot sue us because of that. And, and all this stuff. And you just, it's all about losing control of your life. And that just sucks. It's so dumb. So yes, smart, dumb, you're (laughs) right. Smart, dumb. Go ahead, Stephanie. If you got more on it, go for it. Uh, so, okay, it could be the most intimate wearable technology yet and a milestone in the development of the quantified self. In 2014, Terry Allen Geyer launched a startup called, called Next Gen Jane to begin, <laughs> to begin work developing a smart tampon and gathering information about the kinds of data women want to learn about their bodies. They've been traveling around the country gathering groups of women to discuss medical conditions they've had or are worried about to learn how to better cater to their target consumers. Oh, so they're they're playing off the hypochondria. <laughs> so far, they you weren't worried about cervical cancer <laughs> until you read this article. Yeah. You weren't r- worried about anything. So far, they aren't disclosing too many details about how their smart tampon will work. And anyway, before they can put a device like this on the market, they need to develop a range of tests. Oh, they haven't even developed the tests yet. Having just closed a round of seed funding led by Access Industries, they are currently conducting clinical trials to bring this testing to market. We have to get to a place where we have working high-quality tests for enough conditions that it actually makes it worthwhile for women to test themselves every month, says Terry Yall, who is the company's CEO. Our vision is to manage reproductive health from menarche to menopause. Oh, my God. That is like from cradle to grave, except it's like from the time you get your first period to the time you get your last period. Here's the other terrifying part. Helicopter parents. There's going to be parents that are going to be forcing this shit on their kids. Oh, yeah. And their 12-year-old daughter gets her period. Here, honey, have this smart. Shove this up your vagina. Yeah. And, they're, you know, they're going to use a lot of this stuff probably as some kind of activity tracker of sorts. And you know oh, what I mean? Oh, my God. Yes, I do know. What you know, you mean. and, and I, I just think that's nuts. But knowledge imbalance. <laughs> Doctors have the technology to track many aspects of women's reproductive health. But women only get access to information about their bodies when something goes wrong. If they have trouble getting pregnant, for instance, or if they start to feel pain. Now, no doctor wants to test you every month. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, there's a danger to overtesting because sometimes when you go looking for something, you find it. Right. Right. And it's not always the thing. It's not always anything to worry about. Yeah. There's there's... this concept in medicine called. Well, I mean, it's basically the more you screen for something, there's always some rate of like false positives or detecting something that gives a positive result, but is actually going to fix itself. And it's nothing to worry about. Um, The more you test, the more you get positive results. And medical interventions can can cause harm too it yes it can cause harm to have undetected disease but medical interventions can cause harm too look this woman had a hysterectomy and now she sweats all the time and can't enjoy sex yeah that's horrible yeah i mean what if she didn't need that you're going to have a generation of hypochondriacs i mm-hmm. mean that that's that's really 
Yeah, I mean, there's... There's no need to test yourself for various different diseases every month. Now, not even to, like, not to mention, like, how expensive that'll probably be. Yeah. To test yourself for all these different diseases every month. Yeah. And, you know, some of the worst, some of the worst conditions you can develop, and and this isn't just, I mean, this isn't an abstract, Mm -hmm. happen so fast. Like, there's no detection that exists for some of these things. Not really. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's really a pity that that's true, but you know, I'm kind of reminded of an old saying, which is the more doctors there are, the more sick people there are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're really heading towards that is that you're just like, these people are like so hyper aware of what's going on. Like I'm reminded of Dave Asprey, microtoxins are everywhere. We're all going to die, you know, and, and all this crap. And it's just yeah. like, man, come on. It's like, there's a point to where this stuff gets so insane that you stop living. Oh, like you might as well absolutely. be in the grave because you're spending so much time on maintenance that, you know, that, that you're not doing anything. Yeah. I, there's a great study. I should pull it up. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I remember actually learning about this while I was in medical school. Mm-hmm. There was a study that basically showed that people who go to the doctor every year for like just a, a healthy checkup or whatever are not any healthier yeah. than like when you look at overall health outcomes, they don't die later. They're, they're not, they don't have less bad health stuff. It, it basically doesn't make a difference or it balances out because the doctor with the screening will find things and do medical interventions that hurt them. And, right. you know, whatever doctors don't want to hurt people with medical interventions, but if you get a positive test for something or if you see something, you can't unsee it and you have to treat it. So, you know, oh yeah, I mean, and the doctor has to take it seriously. Otherwise, yeah. they could get malpractice, uh, you know, suits against them. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not blaming doctors or nope. anything. Nothing against nope. them. I was almost a doctor. I went <laughs> went to med school for a while. Didn't finish it. Didn't become one. But right. You know, um, it's just that it's not always good to be constantly testing yourself all the fucking time. Yeah. So anyway. yeah, just like I mean, you know, consider. Like Google, like if, if, you know, when you Google yourself and you're just like, holy shit, why is there this much information about me out there? It's Mm. like, well, take that all the way. I mean, that's what this quantified self movement is going to do. It's going to put a whole lot of information about you out there if you don't like that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be like a a crazy privacy advocate or anything here. I'm just saying, you know, it it, honestly, human decency, (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's ironic. There used to be however long ago this was, there used to be kind of the, the, the idea that, uh, and, and this would go true for, or be true for women as well, I, I would imagine, but that a gentleman doesn't discuss his ailments, you know, like, like, it's just funny how far we've come. Like there used to be people that like the attitude used to be, you know, you don't, when something's up, you don't talk about it. You just yeah. kind of go on and also, and I'm now not saying that be, that's right. Now there's going to be Silicon Valley, uh, tech companies that know more about your personal vaginal health than you do. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a crazy shift that happened and I don't know how people got sold on it, but anyway. So, okay. Here's another thing from this article. Um, the medical community regularly tells women that 35 is the magic age where their fertility drops off a cliff. If they're so, lo- and that may be, not be true either. I read an article that 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 actually may not be true. Hmm. If they're so lucky as to conceive, they're described as having a geriatric pregnancy. Oh, come on. From her experience in the biotech industry, however, Terry All knew that there were ways to give women more specific data about their own fertility, since ethnicity, genetics, and a range of other factors can play into a woman's fertility. It's possible to track a hormone called anti-malarian hormone as a proxy for how many eggs a woman has left, Oh God! otherwise known as her ovarian reserve. 
by comparing your personal hormone reading to the rest of the population, you're able to get a sense of whether your fertility is declining faster or slower than average. Oh, that won't make anybody feel bad, will it? <laughs> oh, I have a lower egg reserve than everybody else. What yeah. The However, some doctors are unwilling to give women access to this information unless you have tried and failed to conceive. I can see why. <laughs> That's just going to stress them out even more. Yeah. Can you imagine telling some, um, ma'am, your ovarian reserve is depleted. I mean, like, how shitty does that make someone feel, you know? <laughs> it's not clear exactly well, why. Terrell su- suspects that they don't want her to worry unnecessarily or misinterpret the test results. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, this kind of, th- th- here's another abstract point in all this. I think there's this attitude that, there is no such thing as too much data. Um, oh, there is. <laughs> I, there I think is. there is. And in fact, I'll give you an analogy. Now, you know, proof by analogy isn't proof. But as an analogy, like I know a lot of musicians that they don't listen to other music because they're terrified, you know, because they know that like taking that in is going to seep into the, you know, their own creative effort and whatever. Mm. Okay. And so they wouldn't be able to write good music. You know, they wouldn't be their Their creative efforts would actually be hindered by more data. Uh, and, and it's not exactly the same thing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, very serious medical issues here and all this, uh, but I think, you know, the, the, it is not a blanket statement that somehow, uh, you know, you can never have too much data. I don't believe that at all. Well, she's saying that um, if you could know that data, then you could like basically plan out whether to like focus on your career or have children or some shit like that. Like, when are you going to live in the moment then? Oh my God. You can't, like, <laughs> you have to base that decision. I wouldn't base that decision on hormone levels, right? right? Like you have to figure that out for yourself or maybe, you know, you'll sort of make that choice for yourself by, you know, not really trying that hard to prevent getting pregnant or whatever. Yeah. You know, she says, oh, the time between getting your period and having children is much longer than before, which gives you more opportunities for something to go wrong with your reproductive system. Our framework is that your reproductive health is now something you need to manage proactively. And and uh, you could track basically this hormone level, like we said before, so that when when they're faced with difficult choices about whether to start a family or focus on their career, they would have that figure handy. And this would give them data points when they're thinking about family planning. Wow. I mean, talk about... Do we, do we have more t- time, or are we going on to another story? Um, let's see. Um, well, we, we, have another, we have a listener email, but we have a little more time. Okay. Well, I, I, I was just going to... I think we've covered enough of the smart dumb. Oh, I, mean, I, I definitely think almost at the so. end, but... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the email. That's oh, fine. my God. Yeah. Okay. So, anyway, um, I... Do not expect to be using the quantified tampon. No, no. <laughs> I definitely would not use it every month. <laughs> and yeah. I would want to make sure it doesn't connect to the internet because I would feel pretty paranoid about that. Yeah. You know, and I, all right, just one last point and I will be very fast. Yep. And that is, is that I don't think people realize just how much Silicon Valley, and I use that term broadly, meaning all of these tech companies, all these dis- disruptive technologies and all this stuff, how much these, uh, you know, these companies like this one, really reinforce conventional family structures and, and reinforce um, like convention, just, just conventional norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a problem. Like they're really not disrupting anything, you know, because <laughs> no. it, like no. this, this nobody's uh, going to disrupt my vagina, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, because like a lot of the use cases that you laid out for this is all about having kids and all that. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is wonderful for women. It's like, well, what about lesbians? 
um, you know, or, or bisexual people, uh, you know, and so who so cares many, about the lesbians, Brian? We're here to make money. Yeah, well, right there, it is. <laughs> that that's it. How does the quarterly sheet look? Um, but I people really don't think about that. Like like even like social media and all this different stuff. It so reinforces like even, a lot of these assistants. Like that's another big part of of the quantified self and of mm-hmm. IoT, which this is really a part of. You mean like you know, Cortana and yeah, well, Alexa, yeah, Alexa and Google Home, and Siri. the new and Siri and all this stuff coming out. They're always women. Hmm. Well, well, that's a problem too, uh, and and people know that. Yeah. But like, and and with Siri, I think you can change the voice. But anyway, but a lot of people don't realize like that it all revolves around this notion that there's a bunch of people living in the home. Like it all revolves around the idea that you have kids. It all revolves around the idea that you, uh, you know, that you have a husband and a wife. And a, I mean, like, there's so much normative behavior that shouldn't, that perhaps shouldn't be the norm. I'm I'm going to ask that question. That a lot of this technology you know, really reinforces and, and kind of pushes on people, whether, you know, whether you want to use it or not, it's it sort of kind of, I think, sending a lot of uh, subconscious signals. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely takes the focus away from like, what do you actually want? Like, if you're using the quantified tampon to test your levels of this hormone to see what your egg reserve is, mm-hmm. and you're like, holy shit, my egg reserves are tanking. I better have kids right away. Like, that really takes the focus off of, okay, well, what do I actually want? Sure. Would I rather have more time to focus on my work right now? Am I enjoying my work? Am I even in the line of work that I like? Um, or am I really like wanting to be, have kids or do I want to do both? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, yeah it rings just like just like when and this is still a problem where other, you know, where, where parents or, you know, family members or friends, whatever, say to a woman, oh, your biological clock's got to be ticking. It's like, leave them alone. Yeah. Oh, I Don't you that. tell them what their I clock is that. saying. That's up to them. By the way, I'm 32 and I haven't felt the biological clock ticking. <laughs> I haven't heard any. I've been listening. I haven't heard any ticking. Right. Yeah. So I just, it rings like that yeah. where it's like, oh no, well, we're telling you, Hey, you know, you better start having a baby. It's like, Come on. Uh, Allow me reproductive choice with a reproductive freedom. <laughs> anyway. So, so, um, a listener writes in and says, um, I don't think he would mind if we named him, but I'll just keep him anonymous. Cause yeah. that's kind of like my, what I default to. He writes in and it's a guy, he writes about, um, breastfeeding in public. He said he had this family Facebook group that's sort of like a secret group, which, by the way, now all the action is happening in like secret groups and yes. private messages. Yeah, because nobody's people posting can't. on their news feed anymore because right. of content collapse. But anyway, somebody in his family posted this um, article that was popular a while back. It was going around, and we'll link to it in the show notes. But it's it's this picture of a woman at a wedding, and she's wearing like a fancy wedding wedding dress she's not the bride but she's maybe like in the bride's family or something and she's breastfeeding a little boy at the table while while the reception is going on Mm -hmm. after the wedding and there's like purple lights in the background and she's making this face like yeah metal like rock on she's not doing the metal (laughs) sign but she might as well be okay she's holding the baby so she can't do the metal sign but she's making this big smile and like opening her mouth and kind of sticking out her tongue a little bit and you know, she said she did this to basically normalize breastfeeding, but some people thought that it was essentially uncouth for a wedding, you know, to do at somebody's wedding to just whip out your boob and start breastfeeding your child. What exactly do people generally, in the conventional sense, what do they expect to come out of a wedding? A baby, eventually. <laughs> uh, right. I'd say it's just a billboard for what's to come. Yeah. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. So here were some of the comments that his family made. People get so uptight about breastfeeding as if there aren't a million more important things to worry about in this world. However, having said that, it's a wedding. I mean, don't you don't wear jeans to a wedding, right? So come on. Another quote. Agreed. I don't care how natural it is. It's uncomfortable. It's also natural to pee, but you don't just pee in front of a bunch of people. Well, I guess icky boys do. I don't know. (laughs) Here's another comment. I agree that there are a million more important things, but the pro-breastfeeding people are off their rockers if they think their agenda is helping anyone. Get over yourself. Billions of women have done it before you and billions more will after you. You are not special and don't act like asking you to put a blanket over it is oppression. And this woman who was, quote, surprised about it going viral is soaking up the attention she was looking for because literally anyone who had the gall to breastfeed uncovered and put it on social media goes viral like there's some kind of war hero. <laughs> Another comment. This world is ass backwards when Victoria's secret ads can be plastered all over city buses and people lose their minds over someone breastfeeding in public. Um, he's, he said, I don't care about some random people's thoughts, but if you read this and feel like bringing it up, I'd love to hear what you two have to say. So let's uh, has a say. Yeah, has a say. <laughs> let's have a, a say, say about it. So um, first of all, Brian, Maybe I should say my opinion first. Yeah, this go is for girl it. talk anyway. Right? I agree. This it, whole episode, except for the Yeti bit, was totally um, woman to woman kind right. of. Right. And thank know, you, as a Yeti myself, thank you for letting me speak for all Yetis. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you identify as a Yeti. Sure. Are you a trans Yeti? <laughs> <laughs> Ist. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. <laughs> so, what do you think? Anyway, um, you know, I, I think that um, I don't really have any problem with somebody whipping out their boob at a wedding and feeding their baby, right? Like sure. everybody else is eating. The baby has to eat too. Damn Wait, right. Do you go in the bathroom to eat your lunch? No. So why should somebody have to go in the bathroom to feed their baby? I guess maybe I'm going to sound like militant pro breastfeeding now, but the thing is, I don't really think that she's necessarily attention seeking or trying to be some kind of a war hero. I think that like, you know, you only get attention if people give you attention. You know what I mean? Like you can wave your arms around and do something crazy and stand on your head and take your shirt off and say, look at me, look at me. Yeah. But the only way you're going to get attention is if people pay attention to you. It takes like a village to do that. You know what I mean? You can't just make people pay attention to you. So I think to say that she's seeking attention by doing this is not right. It's people are giving her attention because they have opinions about it and they feel squicked out about it or weirded out. Yeah. When well, they see a boob in public and they think it's it's not normal. But part of the reason she did this was to try to normalize it. And yeah, she's making a little bit of an uncouth face, I guess. But um, to compare it to peeing, it's it's really not the same thing, you know. Peeing is something that everybody does, right? And we don't pee in public because, you know, it's considered not socially acceptable. Um, And it's kind of gross. You know, we want to separate our waste, bodily waste from like things like food and work and other people, right? Um, Nobody wants to be around that stuff. But with breast milk, there's there's none of that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's eating for the baby. (laughs) And just like you would eat with a group of people your baby has to eat too. So what do you expect them to do? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and uh, you know, it is a rebellious act to post a picture like that on Facebook. Like, I mean, because Facebook has such a negative outlook on breastfeeding itself. Like, Yeah, and Facebook is so hypocritical, as right? many people have pointed out. You know, there's that picture where they, they take a bunch of breasts and they just replace the nipples with, like, male nipples. And they're like, see, now it's okay. These are all male yeah. nipples, right? And then there's, um, you know, there's all these Facebook pages like, giant butts, huge tits, you know, and, like, pictures of wh- scantily clad women that are 
in pornographic poses that are pleasing to men. But if you put up a picture of a woman breastfeeding a baby, then it's like, oh! Everybody yeah. <laughs> just loses their minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so I can understand, like, the the allure to, to doing that. Not necessarily out of fame-seeking, but just out of, like, you know, fuck you, Facebook. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and that makes a lot of sense. What about, like, putting a blanket over it? I mean... I think, like, why? why would you eat under a blanket, right? Like, you wouldn't want to eat with your head under a blanket, would you? Not unless it was chicken soup and I had a cold. I mean, like, I just <laughs> <laughs> I just wouldn't do it. That's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. So why would your baby want to, right? Like, I mean, treat the baby like a person, right? Nobody's really talking about well, and them. Tr- and treat it as the beautiful act that it is. I mean, yeah. and it is a beautiful thing. It, it's It's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, to see that. Uh, and, and, you know, a wedding in and of itself is, you know, for at least as I understand it for a lot of people is supposed to be some kind of, you know, uh, celebration, celebration of right? life. Like what if somebody took yeah. their, what if somebody took their shirt off at the wedding reception and started dancing once they got drunk? That would probably be more, that would cause less of a stink than uh, yeah, a I woman breastfeeding right. and taking a picture right of it. That. You know, I mean the, the, yeah, the whole thing around breasts is just so culturally, you know, I'm reminded uh, uh, a civilization that I have a particular interest in the Minoans. They're, mm-hmm. they're from like, I don't know, 3000 BCE, something like that. Uh, but the women there, and this was a very advanced, you know, civilization for its time. I mean, well ahead of the curve, the women there, they, their dresses didn't cover their breasts. Right. Their breasts were just out in the open and walking around. I mean, and, and these weren't, you know, some people want to want to make some kind of, uh, I don't know, culture claims or something, but these were effectively Greeks, you know? Yeah. The foundation, the I'd bedrock. Love, I'd love to know, like, some of the history. Somebody sent us an email, show at sexandsciencehour.com if you know about this, but I'd love to know, like, where does that come from? The American prudism about female breasts, you know? Well, I, I mean... It, comes from the puritans you know in the pilgrims i, I imagine guess, but like i don't know the the puritans came from europe and in europe like tits are no big deal you know no i i think they were for for some time i mean outside of like recent, a recent development <laughs> yeah because you had like part of the reason the pilgrims came to america is because originally they went to the dutch republic mm-hmm. but the dutch republic was a bunch of liberty you know li- uh there there were a bunch of um you know, wild i was gonna say libertines i didn't yeah. know if that's an acceptable l word um yeah but I- <laughs> it is lesbian libertine right so but they, but they were they're a bunch of like i mean they're sex crazed you know you got people dancing around the maypole and all this stuff i mean it was it was just a while mm-hmm. i mean the dutch republic really had it going on and they were very economically uh you know sound i mean they're just doing tremendous business where was that uh what do you mean? Where like, where was the Dutch Republic? Public? But you know, Northern Europe. I mean. Oh, oh, okay. Like actual yeah. Dutch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Netherlands. Right, right in the Netherlands. <laughs> so, so they originally went there, and then they're like, "Whoa, these people do not fit in with our Christian platitudes." And so <laughs> that's when they ended up going to the New World. Originally, they didn't want to take that, make that trip. Oh, I see. You know, uh, so and then it was just downhill from there, and now we have people flipping out over breasts at weddings. Right. So there definitely was a. You know, movement of getting, you know, the people that are some of the people that originally settled America were definitely getting away from these very, you know, from open sexuality Mm. and not just sexuality, but just kind of, you know, a a break from chastity in general, which I suppose, you know, public breastfeeding could be considered. Right. I mean, it's not really open sexuality to breastfeed in public. I think it's just not being ashamed of of doing something that maybe some other people would like you to be ashamed of or would like you to do in private, which I mean, it's hard to distinguish if if you're supposed to do something in private, it's a, not a very far leap to you should be ashamed of doing it in public. Right? Precisely. Yes. So 
I mean, and we don't know the family context. Like, we don't know if this was like the bride's sister and the bride was like super conservative and was like pissed off that her sister is a La Leche League activist or something. You know, like, <laughs> we don't know the family dynamic. Um, so, you know, maybe it could have been obnoxious, but like, I'm all for being considerate, but that's kind of like when the consideration makes your baby uncomfortable. Screw it, right? Like, why? You gotta, yeah. you gotta take care of yourself and your baby Will first. Will someone think of the children? <laughs> this is Sex and Science Hour. There's more coming up on the after show. And uh, if you're if you're leaving us now, see you later. We'll be back at you next week. Woo-hoo. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. <laughs> After show, you can tell everybody's just dancing. Hour. I mean, not just us, like probably we were, everybody listening to this just started dancing. Oh my god, it's impossible not to! Yeah, we were doing that Madonna, like, make a box around your face thing, that we... <laughs> strike a pose, yeah, strike a pose, right? Vogue, 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 Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I have not read what we got on Amazon this week, but um, we have to say at the beginning of the after show. You can be on our after show by going to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and then shopping on Amazon and uh, your purchases will show up in our Sex and Science Hour link. What happens if you go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? Well, there's nothing there right now, but we could create something, maybe. Uh, the mind races, doesn't it? <laughs> your mind races. I wasn't even thinking of that. Ooh, all right. Sorry. <laughs> What's on your mind, Brian? I hey. You know, we I had I talked to a listener this week. She loves our show, but she's not ready. She's not sure if she's ready to like commit to the after shows. And I get that. It definitely adds time onto the show. So, you know, you can listen or not. That's the point of doing an after show. If you don't want to listen, that's fine. You get your content at the beginning. And if you do want to listen and uh see what things you, you know, yeah. spy on people, see what things people bought on Amazon and get a little more talk and banter, then uh, it's there for you. Yeah, there is a but little no more pressure. banter. In fact, sometimes we even address further some of the things we said earlier in the show. We do. Is there anything else you wanted to address further? No, I, I don't think so. I'd love to tell like a little secret, though. Ooh, yeah. Tell me the secret. It won't be a secret once you tell it. But Well, and this is important <laughs> because now it's legal for me to do this. Previously, it wasn't what? possible because of copyright what issues. What the fuck are you going to say? <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, sweet Stephanie. Happy birthday to me. Oh, there it is. Thank you so much, Brian. That's so sweet. Yes, (laughs) it's my birthday. Yes, uh, June 4th, actually. Tomorrow will be your your birthday. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, and I don't, I mean, is that like some kind of hidden knowledge, you know, but. 
No, I mean, I it's uh, people know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go to a celebrity's Wikipedia page, and they're like, they were born on this day at this yeah. time in this hospital. So, right, eh, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, happy birthday! Thank and, you, uh, thank you. I'm super excited. Yeah. And yep, I'm turning 32. So now you know what year I was born Woo! to. <laughs> you creepers. <laughs> Nobody listens to the after show anyway. So hey. Yeah. There we go. They didn't have to hear my uh, my preposterous singing. And anyway. Well, I, I know what you mean about the copyright issues, because the song Happy Birthday was copyrighted. That's why when you go to restaurants, they couldn't sing it. They had to like make their own, like, happy, happy birthday. We love you, and we yeah. appreciate you yeah, coming to blah. our restaurant. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now it's all been overturned, and it's like, no, it's, you know, it's not a, there's no copyright holding on it. So Yeah, absolutely. Not so- that I can't let that stop me anyway. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. But, em. you know, we don't want to. We don't want any trouble here on Sex and Science Hour. We're not going to be like whipping out our boobs in public, you know. Yeah. Unless you're on the beach, Brian. <laughs> yeah, my boobs are out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, what did people buy? Yeah, let's the do this. Sex and Science Hour, Amazon affiliate link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Good question, you ask. Well, I'm still. Did anybody ask? I'm still pulling it up. <laughs> right. Oh, somebody bought an audiobook, Ooh. Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, from Wiley Trading Audio. Wow. I bet that's a hell of a read. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. It's be about what, the history of the Wall Street or something? Something like that, I would assume. That's uh, Boy, that's a hell of a history. But I mean, mm-hmm. you're pretty much going to find out it's all rigged. <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. <laughs> um, Money can be made there, that's for sure. Yeah, that's cool. I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody buy an audiobook through our link, but that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I just got into audiobooks. Yeah, you learn to love audiobooks. You I, know, they're on the rise. Okay, I have to say this because I am an audiobook narrator. Yes. If you look up Stephanie Murphy or my dirty erotica pseudonym, which I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what it is, on audible.com, look up Stephanie Murphy. You'll find some like lesbian romance and stuff, which I, right on. I don't mind if I use my. But anyway, um, yeah, I narrate audiobooks and it is so much fun and audiobooks are growing in popularity. I see I'm in this narrator's Facebook group and I see all the time these uh serve industry data, you know, that that basically says audiobooks are are unstoppable. They're on the rise, they're becoming more popular, they're outselling print books. The Martian, you know that movie where the guy is trapped on Mars with Matt yeah. Damon? Yeah, the book by Andy Weir. Yep. Yeah, the audiobook actually made more money than the book than the uh, movie. I could believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually I and the reason I say I'm I am an avid like I need to read the book because I like to consume and take in. Yeah. Uh and like I like to know how to spell things and all <laughs> this like I'm a really detail-oriented guy. Uh-huh. Uh but I listened to uh on up on the torrents um Somebody made available, and this book wasn't supposed to come out till June 20th, and the movie doesn't come uh-huh. out till after that. They made available the uh, uh, the audiobook for uh, the new Independence Day movie, Resurgence. Oh, cool. And I listened to it inside of four hours, because obviously I could listen to it at like 2.2x or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that was great because I didn't need like the details, like, cause I knew I was still going to catch the movie and everything. And I eventually I'd have the book in my hands. Uh, so it was great as an advance, like to know the story. Cause I just, just tell me the fucking story. I just want to know what goes <laughs> on. I don't give a shit about spoilers. Yeah, uh, you know, I can see your point about when you read a book, like you can tell yourself the story, you can fabricate the story in your own mind. You can mm-hmm. imagine like what the scenes look like. Yeah. You can imagine what the characters voices sound like. And you're only limited by your imagination. Really? The words on the page are just telling your brain and giving your brain stuff and then it fills in the gaps and it's really exciting and cool that's the fun thing about reading but um when you have an audiobook someone else is telling you the story yeah and sometimes they can tell you the story in like ways that you wouldn't have expected right and yeah sometimes they have great voices character voices um Sometimes you can really just get immersed in it and not have to do the work of thinking of all the stuff that you you would sometimes think of. Yeah, I mean, you could st- you'll still be imagining the scene, but it's like someone's reading you a story, right? Who doesn't like that, right? No, that's the thing is that I think with audio, like fiction, works really well in audiobooks. Um, I don't know nonfiction for me, just for me, mm-hmm. not so much for other people. It works great. Yeah. Um, but with nonfiction, I really like. I need to integrate exactly what's being said i don't want stuff you know ran over fast and all this business um but with fiction i think audio like there's a there's a, a ender's game there's an audiobook of that mm-hmm. and like harlan ellison does voices for it they have a full cast and and it's great it's oh like yeah the, the radio plays of old. Are, are really cool yeah definitely. so i i really dig that but anyway so audiobooks i'm i'm a fan these days yeah for sure oh what was i gonna say oh yeah you mentioned nonfiction. i actually love nonfiction. um there's well i love i love nonfiction. just like it doesn't work for me in audio just me well you might change your mind about that um i i was just thinking of this book i'm editing right now mm-hmm. um our friend jake DeSillis wrote this book called nah. job free which buy it through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com because it's a great book great um, book he did it he was giving it away for a little while but i don't think it's on free promotion right now but it's worth the two bucks or however much it is like absolutely multiple times over it's gold it's really good it's about all these different strategies to you know live a job free life and maybe that sounds like i don't know scammy or you're skeptical if you hear that but it is it is not scammy at all he's describing time you know tested and like proven strategies that are out there for early retirement yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jake is just not a scammy guy at all. You not can listen to the voluntary the life and you know it. That's his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great summary of a, like a lot of information that's already out there. And it, it can help you get a high level overview of like, if you want to get away from this kind of corporate job lifestyle and everything that entails, mm-hmm. um, there are ways to do it. And here's how other people have done it. And he goes through four main strategies. One is extreme saving where where you save like over 50% of your income and you use the power of like compounded interest to um, build up a buffer of money and then you have investments and then you live off of that after you work for 10 or 15 years or something like that. Yeah. That's one extreme saving. There's unjobbing, which is unjobbing is awesome. That's another great book by Michael Fogler. Oh yeah. Or Fogler. And um, he, he wrote this book called Unjobbing the Adult Liberation Handbook. And this guy was like, he went to college for like classical guitar. He wanted to become a guitar professor, mm-hmm. but he couldn't get hired. He couldn't get a job. So instead, he started doing other things, like things that he liked to do anyway, just kind of things that he enjoyed and finding little ways to get paid for them. And, you know, between here and there, um, he ended up creating like a 
a career for himself. <laughs> and he's a tax resistor, right? Or I'm like... Yes, that was the other thing. So he is a peace act. He was a peace activist. You know, right. he he um, basically created, you know, a way to like completely legally not pay taxes. He probably used the dono nothing method, which is um, David Gross talks about that. He writes about it. Um, it's basically like if you don't want to pay taxes, you just get your income down to a level where, or you get your taxable income down through deductions, contributing to an IRA, not earning that as much money, um, living a frugal lifestyle, you get your taxable income down to a level where you don't owe anything according to the IRS's own rules. Right. So anyway, and I know we're going to get the emails that say, taxes are voluntary, didn't you know? And then blah, blah, blah. Well, I, whatever, I'm afraid of them, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) if there's a way to you know, by their own book, by their own rules to get your taxable income down. I think that would be like kind of the ideal thing. But right anyway, on. so that's probably what Michael Fogler did. So there's extreme saving, unjobbing, um, lifestyle businesses, which a lifestyle business is kind of like what Tim Ferriss describes in the four hour work week. Yeah. And that's basically starting a business that gives you income, but that you don't have to spend a lot of time working on. Right. Right. So the idea is to make as much money in, with as little work as possible. And there's various ways to do that. And then there's a uh, startup. Uh, uh, yep. Don't don't do number four. You got to let you got to make him get the book. Oh, shit. Uh, but I already said it. All right. Then go. there's startup okay. entrepreneurship, doing a startup and then selling your business. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not giving anything away. Like, no, there's no, a talk. Jake did this talk on on a. a at a, at a conference called Libertopia, which I don't know if it exists anymore, but it's on YouTube. It's called Four mm-hmm. Ways to Quit the Rat Race. And that was the basis for this book. So yeah. if you see his talk, you'll hear about a lot of the stuff that he talks about in the book. But just read the book because it's so good. Yeah. And I, I was saying, like, he he narrated his own audiobook because he's a podcaster. So he's got the microphone. He's got a great British voice. He's yeah, got he's a nice, got deep male voice. His voice is beautiful. And um, I'm doing the editing of his audiobook, right. so I've got to listen to a preview, and it's going to be out soon. Uh, it's not quite out yet, but it's going to be out very soon. Um, but I just think he did such a good job on the nonfiction side. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, he delivers the message, and he's speaking his own words, so he knows how he envisioned saying it, like when he wrote it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. So, author narrated, or even just with a talented narrator, um, nonfiction books, I think, can be totally awesome. Sure. I don't doubt it. Yeah. Um, so, and just real quick, before anybody asks, how was Independence Day Resurgence? It was fucking amazing. I loved it. <laughs> so, anyway. We're going to see that movie, right? We will catch it when it comes out. We're going to see the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie tonight. Yeah, see, let's that's catch that tonight. That's why we're the show in the morning. That's right. Get it out of the way. We are on it, baby. I'm going to grab the tickets and, man, pizza power. <laughs> So, okay, what did people buy this week on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com? So I mentioned the uh, I mentioned that audiobook. Yep. Somebody bought a Kindle book called The Aristotle Collection. Oh boy. That's a that's a doozy. Yep, that sounded pretty cool. We also had two men's brown leather belts. Nice. There was the Columbia Men's Big and Tall Goose Lake belt, which Nah, big and tall, I have to do that too. Big and tall. Is it just longer? Because, I mean, a belt wouldn't be taller, right? Well, it might be the belt, like, may have a greater width to, like, you you get what I'm saying? Usually, like, a belt is uh, is about an inch in width. It might have a greater width because the, the belt loops on the pants would be taller. Huh. You know, maybe taller. I, I have that same, I, it's, it's so hard to get a good thick belt. Wow. Interesting. I learned about men's clothing, something I did not know. Yeah. Or it might be for, you know, might be for 
a bigger guy, like a, <laughs> right? Like a wider yeah, yeah. guy, which nothing wrong with that. Just saying. And then we also had the Carhartt Men's Journeyman Belt. Nice. Which has 870 reviews. Wow. Wow. And they're both brown. Well, I'd go with black, but brown it is. (laughs) I mean, they look like nice belts, right? Yeah. You know, I have a belt. I have a belt that I love. It's actually, it's it's a uh, nylon belt. Uh-huh. And it it uh, it has a zipper inside, so you can hide cash and whatever Ooh. else. And, uh, and it that's it's, not going anywhere. <laughs> no, and, and it even it has a composite buckle, so it doesn't uh, set off uh, you know uh, uh, metal detectors or anything like that. Oh, that's my that's, that's my useful. special travel. Do belt. they still make you take it off when you go through the TSA? Nope. Huh. I've worn it through. Sweet. Yeah. Good for you. And then we have the iFix Zone 1X new SIM card reader slot connector socket for T-Mobile LG Optimus L90D415 USA. Right on. The <laughs> LG Optimus. That's what does a... that mean? A SIM card reader slot connector socket? What is it? What is what do you think the person's doing with that? The SIM card it $6. It's a SIM card reader slot connector socket for T-Mobile LG Optimus. Huh. I wonder what that's, uh, it's just a replacement, maybe it's just a replacement SIM card reader that you, Hmm. that you attach to the device. I don't know necessarily how that goes bad. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Or do you think they could be like basically doing a hardware modification to their phone to like let it read different kinds of SIM cards Yeah, maybe. They're adding one on. I like buying uh, phones with uh, dual SIM cards on them. This is a, this is, oh, you know what? Yeah. Actually, I know some people that have wanted to like make their own phones. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and like based upon, because I do a, a blog called Dark Android. You can find mm. it at darkandroid.info, and I've had people email me saying they wanted to make their own devices. I wonder if that's part of it. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's 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 getting serious about your privacy. That's going out <laughs> in the backyard and baking your own sand, and I love it, <laughs> you know, to get your own silicon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's it for this week. Did you have any product suggestions, Brian? Or I've, did you buy anything interesting on Amazon this week? Uh, I didn't buy anything interesting, but I've got one real quick. Yeah. It's the ZTE Axon 7, A-X-O-N. Uh-huh. This phone is going to be amazing when it's when it comes out. It's VR Daydream ready. And you can on Amazon, you're going to get the one that that uh, that has, a, I don't know, 128 gig of memory and 6 gig of RAM. Or 6 gig of RAM, 128 gig of onboard storage and all that. You're only going to be able to find that on Amazon through some reseller. you got to get that. Oh, sweet. Well, mine is Opal Picks, which are like these little swords that you can use to floss your teeth. O-P-A-L-P-I-X. Nice. I've been using them and they're awesome. They just feel so good. I use those. I have wooden ones like that. They're great. It's better than the wooden ones because yeah, they won't break. Yeah. Anyway, this has been Sex and Science Hour. We'll be back at you next Friday. Another one in the bag. Hey guys, so we've got an after after show for you. <laughs> this is even more um, of an after show than the one we just did. This is actually we started doing the show last night, but we just oh my god, it got late. We weren't feeling it. It was too fucking hot. We had the air conditioner on. We just couldn't deal with it. So we we actually started doing the show last night, and we only got about twelve minutes in, and then we were like, oh, we can't take it. And we just <laughs> did it this morning instead. So. Um, we're putting in our little segment from last night as a bonus. Yeah, so you're getting an extended it's edition. Slightly secret, different. Yeah, I mean, this is 
People pay good money usually for this sort of thing from a movie. No kidding. So, but we're just, you know, we're trying to give you all the content that we can. So, yeah, we figured we might as well do something with it rather than delete it, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so here it is. Enjoy this Sex and Science Hour. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour. Woo! I get a little woo. When was the last time you heard the phrase, oh, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. <laughs> Actually, I haven't heard that phrase for years. What uh, about you? No, you know, I could almost tell you to the day. And I remember the man of the, the okay, man that tell said me, it. Tell me. Well, the, all right. How about I'll just, I'll give you the year, but, uh, but okay. I was in Florida mm-hmm. and so this is over 10 years ago. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the year would have been like Oh five mm-hmm. and it was a guy named Dennis, a coworker. And he <laughs> see. I thought you were going to tell a story about some celebrity or something. But no, yeah, go, no, no. Tell me about Dennis, your coworker. Well, uh, there's not much to say on the <laughs> at guys. Wendy's. Yeah, very well. Just a very bland <laughs> fellow. That's the bottom line. Was and, it your coworker at Wendy's? Uh, Might have been. And <laughs> just saying. And and this guy was a real piece of work. And and yeah, he would say that all the time, like nonstop. Oh, I know. It used to be something that straight cisgendered guys said all the time. Yeah. But the thing is, I think the reason that we haven't heard it, I have a theory, I think the reason that it's fallen out of of parlance is because now people are way more educated about transgender people. And they think, now the straight cisgender guys say, you know, oh shit, if I actually say that and somebody hears me, they're going to think that I mean that I'm transgender. And I don't (laughs) want them to think that. They're going to think I want to become a woman. And that's not what I want. Well, yeah. I mean, it it was generally kind of a slimy thing to say, I would I would think, like from guys who are not actually transgender, right? Like they're right. not trans women and lesbians. They are straight cis men who are trying to convince women that, oh, I'm just like you, right? I'm, oh, I'm really like more of a lesbian trapped in a man's body, right? It, women who are like, yeah, no, I'm not interested in you. I'm a lesbian or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Right. I mean, and it was always it always felt, you know, kind of insulting um, when this would be, you know, when this sort of thing would be said. Um, But, you know, it's a funny thing because, you know, who's the who would be the first person that would get mad about somebody making a kind of claim like that? You know, what group? Uh, Lesbians. Feminists, generally. Right. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feminists would freak out about that statement. Um, And, and, you know, in bringing in the transgender angle, you know, I caught a video, interestingly, this week. Uh, by was it uh, Camille Paglia? Do you know? Yeah, Camille? yeah, I know her. She's a famous feminist. Uh huh. And she is claiming that the entire trans, like she's claiming first off, that there is this kind of wild uh, uh, increase in transgenderism. It seems, you know, I could I could kind of see that. I don't think there's really a wild increase in transgenderism. It's just that now it's more acceptable to come out. Sure. Well, she claims, again, this is coming from a feminist, mm-hmm. she claims it's a sign of social collapse, like of cultural collapse. Like she well, sees it as a... some feminists would hear that and say, oh, yeah, she's not a feminist. And feminism is like a big, broad oh, school of huge, thought, and there's lots of conflicting views within there's it. There's multiple but... waves about it. I mean, <laughs> feminism is a... Ma- just like anarchism, like it can mean so many different things. It can, absolutely. So, right. yeah, I don't know about that, uh, but... Um, what is the justification for that idea that it's a social, it's a sign of social collapse that people are more likely to come out as transgender? Now? Well, I, th- I think her point is that, look, there, 
you know, no matter what you do to a person on the outside, their genes are either male or female. Like that, that's kind of her point. And, oh, and she's saying she that she's coming up with something new there. No, I, mean, I don't think so biological reductionism, right? right? Like you are what your DNA says. I mean, that's a pretty simplistic view in my mind, but anyway. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't agree with her. Uh, like right. I don't, first off, but that's her, the argument that she's he, proffering. Right. right. I mean, first off, you know, cultural collapse. Good. <laughs> What's so great about culture well, yeah, anyway? Nothing. <laughs> like, I, I mean, especially, you know, this whole notion of Western civilization. First off, that, that's, a, that's a total uh, false paradigm. You know, you have modern and ancients. There is no Western civilization and then everything else. I mean, that, that's, that's a bunch of shit. Uh, Explain that a little more. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people now who are talking about Western culture and Western values as though it's this great thing or this yeah, you know, needs exclusive to be preserved. club that you're in if you're white or something or if you're European heritage. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what exactly is Western culture? First, we need to start by defining it, right? And then we need to pick, pick that apart and unpack it and say, okay, well, are these things true? And if they're true, are they good oh, or are they <laughs> yeah, worth I, preserving? It's hard enough to define American culture, right? Because yeah. it's, it's such a big group of people. You yeah. know? It's, to me, it just feels like such collectivism, you know? No, it is. It really is. Um, and I mean, we could spend a whole episode covering that subject alone. Sure. Uh, and, know, and by the way, by collectivism, I mean um, valuing and talking about the collective or the group over the individual. Right. Ignoring individuals. Focusing on the individual. Yeah. Right. And not focusing on them. Yeah. Uh, right. But I mean, Western civilization is kind of this concept, you know, of everything that comes out of perhaps the Greek and Roman tradition. Uh, it gets, you know, bunched in with Christianity and all this. I mean, a lot of it comes back from the, there's a book from the 90s called The Clash of Civilizations by mm -hmm. Samuel P. Huntington. Yep. It's actually a very interesting read. And if people that were all hot about uh, about Western civilization would actually read it, which is where I think largely the argument comes from, uh, you'd find some very interesting concessions that get made by Samuel P. Huntington, you know, about this, you know, thing. we got to preserve Western civilization, Western, you know, people from the East will never accept it. Middle Easterners will never do that and all this stuff. Uh, like one of the interesting points that he brings up in this book is that there are other cultures that are just as valid as Western civilization, just as advanced as Western civilization that had nothing to do with Christianity or the Greco-Roman tradition. Mm -hmm. Like he brings up Japan. He says, Japan is a complete anomaly. He said oh, they yeah. are incredibly socially advanced. They are on board, you know, with everything, uh, but they are not technically Western civilization. Sure. Um, and so this is within that own that within that paradigm itself. You know, the Western civilization is the great, you know, banner of the the advancement of the human species, uh, which is kind of the argument, uh, you know, that goes on. So, why? How did we get on this? Um, <laughs> because you said Camille Paglia was saying that it's a sign of. Oh, oh, and I brought up, okay. I was yeah. going to say, I think we're getting way too serious. Yeah. Speaking of civilization collapsing, you may hear that background noise. That is the sound of all the buildings falling. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's actually the sound of the air conditioner. And I wanted to uh, just start off by apologizing for that, if you can hear it in this recording. Yeah, we might be able to edit it out. We just really couldn't take any, any more clothes off yeah, to we do couldn't, the show. No, it's right. We're so impossible new. impossible to get cool. Yeah, and so. we just couldn't take the heat, so we got out of the kitchen. But uh, Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, well, yeah, okay. I just wanted to bring up that thing about the lesbian trapped in the man's body. It well, used to be this thing that you would say to lesbians to try to, as a straight guy to try to convince them to 
get on your dick or something. Right. And well, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, no. People will think you're trans. Right. <laughs> but real quick, I just want to finish up. I know what you originally asked me, and that is explain moderns and ancients. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. And that's the thing, that Western civilization is a false paradigm. Modern and ancients is the idea, and I think it's true, that you, the modern day American, have more in common with someone from from Southeast Asia somewhere than you do with an American 200 years ago. Yeah. Okay. Like, like there's this, you know, you have pretty much the 18th century up and everything before that you have nothing in common with those people. And I think that's true around pretty much around the world. It's a good point. Well, we got way too serious. There, yeah, we did. It's coming up. We've got some science. I don't know if it's going to get less serious. Well, yes, actually it is. Cause we're going to talk about Yeti or not. Well, Stay let's tuned. shake it up. All right. This is sex and science hour. We're coming up. <laughs> 